On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. Okay, here we are back at you once again, bringing you the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast as we present GeekWire. Yeah, you know it. The news, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stupid, and everything else in between. We've got a little bit of it all for you right here today. The last couple of weeks have just been packed full of wild and crazy rock and roll news stories. And I know a man that pays attention to these things and gathers them and keeps them together so that we can talk about them together. My name is Aaron Camaro. That man I'm talking about, Mr. Chris Sinzak right here. What's going on, brother? Oh, not much. Just uh, got a nice little list of stories here. There's a few big stories in here, some weird ones, some ridiculous ones, and we're going to get to them all. Yeah, that's that's what GeekWire is all about. So without further ado, let's get right to it. What kind of news stories you got for us? ACDC has announced the spring and summer European tour in 2024. So they're finally going to tour behind Power Up. And um, I'm a little mixed on how I feel about this because, yeah, it's exciting. They're going to finally tour on this album. But the band is going to consist of Brian Johnson and Angus and Stevie Young, who they brought in, you know, obviously after Malcolm passed. Right. But then no Phil Rudd. You're going to have drummer Matt Logg and bassist Chris Chaney in the band. So do we still call this ACDC? I mean, it's like they're really stretching, you know, what to accept here. What do you think on this? I think as long as it's got Angus and it's got Brian, I think, I think that's good enough for, for 2024. That's good enough. I guess it's either this or nothing because Cliff Williams has, you know, called it quits. He's definitely not going to be back. And Phil Rudd is a, he's a legal issue in general with uh, all of his past problems. Yeah, so you take what you can get at this point. And congratulations to Europe for getting that. Hey, what about the rest of us? Uh, I mean, I, it's safe to say that a, a U.S. tour is going to happen okay. because they're doing this to start with. They're going to test everything out over there. But, yeah, I had to look up Matt Logg, who uh, I guess he's played with Alanis Morissette. He's played with Alice Cooper uh, slash Snake Pit. Yeah. So he's you know he's got a good resume. Do you know anything about Chris Chaney? Boy, that name sounds familiar. It does to me too. I know I've I've heard his name tied to somebody else. Let's look real quick. Oh, he's in um, Jane's Addiction. Okay, all right. And also Alanis Morissette's band. So half of ACDC oh. is now from Alanis Morissette's band. <laughs> I was gonna say that's that must be where I've heard of him from the Alanis Morissette band. Yeah, because you follow them with great enthusiasm. See, we did that last week with the Warrant episode. We we called upon the name of Alanis Morissette, and now look. It's, this is going to be a reoccurring thing. I can feel it. I've got a bad omen about this Alanis Morissette business. Yeah, wait till we get to that You Can't Do That on Television episode. You know, <laughs> we, uh, We'll talk about her then, too, right? <laughs> Never. <laughs>
Van Halen finally back in the news. He set an October 22nd release date for Brothers, his new book about his uh, relationship with Eddie Van Halen. 384-page book and list price of $32. What could this book have in store for us? Hmm. I mean, these guys have been around for so long and have given so many interviews and and have had so many books written about them. Unless there's stuff that he's held back and is going to tell in this book, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Alex probably has a shit ton of dirt that he could spread, but, you know, what... His mindset is hard to decipher because he's so private. He's always been so private. Yeah. So who knows what's going to come out in this or if it's going to focus on their childhood together. Uh, obviously, he's going to get into the the meat of everything, but who knows if he's going to really dish dirt in this thing. It's just amazing to me that he's finally putting a book out because, Alec, I didn't think this is one musician that I never expected a book from. Hmm. Because he's always he's always let through all those years that Eddie was alive he let Eddie handle all the press stuff. Alex hardly ever spoke in interviews. Right. Yeah. So you wonder what he what he's got to say. I don't know if it was like a. I don't know. It's weird because you think autobiography, you think it's about me, you know. But this book is called Brothers, so is it going to be stories about him and Eddie? Which that's cool, you know. A lot of that stuff probably has never been told before, you know. They're growing up and all that stuff. But if it was an autobiography that's going to tell, like, stories about David Lee Roth and, and Michael Anthony and stuff like that, I don't know if you'd call it brothers. So I don't know what this is going to be. Yeah, the um, the uh, HarperCollins website, that's the publisher. There's just It's just bare-bones info on page count, price, and that it's a biography and autobiography. There's nothing... And it says it says it's called Brothers as the listing, but then on the the mock cover it says the Brothers Van Halen. But so it it's going to focus on him and Eddie, but we'll see to what extent. Well, I suppose those guys have been locked together since they were young children, and now all these years later, you know, he finds himself all alone, which is sad. But at least now we know what Alex Van Halen's been up to. He's been working on his book. That's why he couldn't take the drummer job with Mister Big. It makes perfect sense now. <laughs> He's still holding on to that one. Right? <laughs> See, it all comes around. Makes sense. Right. Uh, although I do love the idea of Alex Van Halen playing Addicted to That Rush. I would love to see that. Mm-hmm. Ready for a double shot of Brett Michaels news? Yes, I think so. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, the first story is uh, during a f- February 15th appearance on Eddie Trunk's show, Brett Michaels uh, was asked if he foresees Poison possibly getting out on the road again uh, with another two or three or four big acts like he did in 2022 with the stadium tour. He says, 1 million percent. I was grateful to be out there again with Motley and Def Leppard and to be out with Joan Jett. One thousand percent, I can see that kind of thing happening again. So, and then he said, "I wouldn't be doing any of this without being out here with CC, Bobby, and Ricky." You know, that's cool. That's cool and all, but 
It leads to the next story, which is kind of tied into it. Um, Brett Michaels is promoting his Party Gras 2.0 tour. Uh, this happened last year, and this year is Brett Michaels with Don Felder from the Eagles, Lou Graham from Foreigner, and Dee Snyder, and says that it will have, quote, so many hits, it's illegal. So how does this work? Is there like one band and then each vocalist comes up and plays a set with that band? I think that's how it works. I think it's Brett's touring band, you know, with like Pete Evick and all those guys. And I don't think Brittingham's in the band anymore. I think he left. But it's Brett's band kind of backing up all these guest singers, I believe. Yeah, financially, that's a pretty smart thing. You're right. As a business move, I totally see why he's doing this because he's probably pocketing way more money this way because you're just paying one guy from a band, not the whole band. So, because I think the last one had Night Ranger. I can't remember who, uh, I don't remember who else was on that tour. Um, Oh, wasn't it the guy from Sugar Ray? And I can't remember who else. Yeah, Mark McGrath, Night Ranger, and somebody else. I can't remember. But anyway, it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of people mocking this, but at the same time, from a business side, I see it. But as a old school poison fan, I hate that the uh, other three guys have to sit on the sidelines while Brett does this. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I'd still like to see another poison album, you know, let CC, Bobby and Ricky write the music and then send Brett the tracks and be like, come up with some vocals for it and let it be a good rocking album because the last thing we got from Poison wasn't that great. And if that's the way Poison's going out with Holly Weird as their last album from all them years ago, that's no good. I'd like to see them come out with something now. You know, now these bands have been around for a while. They're a little more revered again. Come out with a new album, some new songs, and and rock it out Poison style. You know, the Brett Michaels thing, you know, with Don Felder, Lou Graham, and Dee Snyder. For the right price, if it was affordable, that actually sounds kind of fun. I'd probably go for like 20 bucks. Yeah. I mean, a cheap grass ticket at, you know, the amphitheater, I'd probably go to that. And I'm sure the band is taking it seriously. Sure. To be able to play all the stuff right. You're not seeing Twisted Sister, and you're not seeing Foreigner Old School, and you're not seeing the Eagles, but still pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to target it. Now I will target Brett's like strategy as far as like marketing and graphics and stuff. Oh boy, dude, hire somebody. Is it just a, is it just a neon green piece of paper stapled to a street post? Well, it's not that bad, but it's like, (laughs) I, and I haven't seen the graphics for the party gras 2.0. First of all, name in your tour party gras to start with party gras. That sounds like fun. It sounds like Brett Michaels. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, the graphics were just real cheesy. And but I mean, then again, we're not so much the target audience for this. This is for people that are casual music fans that listen to classic rock radio and they want to hear D. Snyder do We're Not Going to Take It. And they want to hear Don Felder play Hotel California. Yeah. And there's an audience for that. Oh, yeah. So. It's not really for us, but at the same time, like we said, if 20 bucks, I'd probably go and just have a good night. Brett Michaels is kind of like the Jimmy Buffett of heavy metal. 
I think that's what he's trying to become. Although him and Sammy Hagar are in like a neck and neck race oh, for that yeah. title. That's right. Oh, there is a battle for that then. Then the, there'll be a Sammy Hagar, Brett Michaels tour, and then the world will just to fucking explode. <laughs> Hopefully right before it gets started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, bring back poison. Yeah, I would love that. And I, here's another idea I had. Like, there's enough younger artists or songwriters that probably grew up on poison that this would be one where I wish that Brett and the guys would enlist some kind of known musicians that are, that are fans of their old stuff and help them write a new record that sounds like their old stuff. Yeah. Cause I don't know that they still have it in them to do that, but it could be crafted if you had the right people doing it. Yeah. I'd be down for that. I'd be excited for it. No, 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 no. That just look at me and he said, that boy, he definitely be guilty. the headline where it's a blabbermouth headline that is not from David Ellison, but I wish it was. Oh, no. <laughs> Dave Mustaine is preparing to start writing the next Megadeth album, and it says, quote, I feel like I still have the mojo in my hands. Oh, I wonder if he was on the phone to somebody going, you can't pull me into this. Just because I was in the same band with the guy doesn't mean the joke works with me, too. You keep that to him, not me. Blabbermouth's still doing it. <laughs> but it's not a... Th- that would be perfect if it was for uh, David Ellison, but how does it slide over to Dave Mustaine now, too? I don't know. It just made me laugh when I saw the headline. I'm not even... I'm not even going to read the article. I just thought the headline was funny. Yeah, it definitely reads like a blabbermouth David Ellison quote. But I will say The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead was a really good album, so I'm excited for more from, from them if it's in that same vein. official Nickelback documentary coming to the world called that called hate to love. And it's coming to cinemas worldwide in March. Aaron, are you going to be a first day buyer? Um, no, not even a last day buyer. (laughs) So you can, there's, there's going to be a film about every band ever. I'm I'm convinced if there's, well, I don't know this. I'll end up watching this thing because I will watch a music documentary on any band. It doesn't matter if I like them or not. Yeah. Just because I like watching them. I'll end up watching this for sure and watch me end up becoming a fan. <laughs> That's how I became a fan of the Ramones was the I end, was of, just end of the century documentary. I was just going to say that. You didn't know nothing about the Ramones, didn't even know that you liked them, and then you saw the documentary and became a huge fan. You're going to come back after this and be like, you know what, man? 
I was wrong. I was so wrong about Nickelback. Well, with the Ramones, I I did like a couple tunes. I liked Pet Cemetery. That was like the one song of theirs I liked. So at least I had that going for me. There's really nothing but uh, Nickelback has some good riffs. I was going to say, you, you got the opening there. You appreciate the music a little bit. I do. It's just that motherfucker's voice. I can't stand it. Yep. Household names, though, no denying it. But uh, go to nickelbackfilm.com if you want to find out where it's going to be showing if you want to see it. I will not go to the theater to see this, but once <laughs> it's on streaming, I will, I will watch it. I might just go to the theater and shame the people going to see it. <laughs> yeah, you stand there as they walk in. What the fuck's wrong with you? Nickelback, come on. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? Oh. Chris Sinzak, what are you doing here? One more story before we get to the halfway mark in the Camaro segment. Uh, I had to touch on this because this got a. It's rare that something gets announced that's kind of interesting the day that we record. It's usually right after we finish recording, something breaks. And I'm sure something tonight after we finish recording this will break that's going to be a huge story. Yeah, let's hope it's good news. Uh, Vinny Vincent, his uh, upcoming show at the end of this month has been shock canceled. No. Uh, an update was put on his website that says, mind you, in all caps, attention, please. Our singer Faisal Smile came down with a severe flu strain a few days ago and is very ill. He is on medication. Our deepest apologies. I will be rescheduling the show based on everyone's availability who are traveling from out of state. Keep watching for a new show date. Wait, when was when's the show? It's like next week. It was supposed to be next week, I think. Oh, okay. So it's come right down to the line. Yeah. People have already booked hotels and flights and all that stuff. But how few people... To say that anybody actually did that, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. How few people bought tickets for this thing where he's saying, I'll reschedule based on everyone's availability that's traveling from out of state. You're looking at like probably two or three people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this to, is, to be able to make a statement like that, because even if it was 50 people, you couldn't say, well, I'll work with everybody and we'll figure out a time that works for everyone. You couldn't do that with 50 people. No. You couldn't even do it with 20 people. But you might be able to do it with three people. That's what I'm thinking. That's like when we talk about, hey, upcoming, we're going to be returning with Cobras and Fire real soon. Be watching for this announcement because it's coming real quick when you're listening to this. Uh, we're doing another March Badness with our friends, Loose Cannon and Baco. And we got to figure out what day is going to work. So Baco th throws out three dates. And between the four of us, we're able to whittle it down to the 28th. And so there, there you got the announcement right there. And an example. Four people, you can do that. 20, 50, no, impossible. So, and like, you know, of course, a lot of people immediately mock this going, there's no flu strain. He's not sick. It's just there weren't enough sales. Oh, I was going to ask if he's a real person. No, he is a real person. I've looked him up. Oh, okay. All right. And he really could have the flu here. But here's the thing. Vinnie Vincent has cried wolf so many times now that it's hard to take him seriously. 
True. So it's like he's kind of brought this on himself. I mean, honestly, the show with Vinny Vincent now is just seeing what other f- next fucked up thing he's going to do is. It's not about music at all anymore. And his reputation is such that more people, like if you were to go to Vegas and lay odds, like do you think the announced Vinny Vincent show that's on scheduled for this date will actually go through and happen and you were to place a bet, I would think most people nowadays would bet, no, it's going to get canceled. Just sad. I don't know. It just, I don't know. We've gone from, I don't know. There used to be a lot of humor in this, but now it's just becoming more and more sad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. It's Vinnie Vincent. I don't care. I mean, he had his chance, and he blew it, so whatever, you know, and yeah. it doesn't surprise me. I don't care about it. I'll never go to one of those things. Even if I wanted to go to one of those things, I doubt that I'd be allowed to do it. So whatever. Who cares? It was only $275 to get in. Right. Fuck. I mean, when your ticket prices are that high, I don't know. I guess we've talked about this before. Like, if only five people are coming, you set your ticket prices at almost 300 bucks, <laughs> so that it's actually worthwhile for you to show up. Yeah. Because if you sold your tickets for $20, you might get 10 people, but, you know, you're not going to make as much money. I knew I should have priced Rock and Pod tickets at $1,000. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it's you and me and crickets. Yeah. We'd have fun, though. We'd, We'd make it work. Yeah. So that we're kind of halfway done. You want to do your segment? Sure. Yeah, we can do the Camaro segment right now where we take a little look into the future and into the past. We'll talk about some album anniversaries. We'll talk about some rock star death days, people we need to remember. And you know what? Let's switch it up a little bit. Let's start with new albums coming our way. Yeah, let's start with a positive look to the future. And I'm very excited. I know a lot of KISS fans are very excited There's been a lot of hype around this one, probably more hype for this than any Ace Frehley album I can remember, but it's upon us, man. 10,000 volts is almost here. Yep, it's like later this week as as of this recording, right? Yeah, on the 23rd, that one's coming out. And I've been doing a little reading on it. He's comparing the songs on this album to his playing on Rock and Roll Over. Oh, boy. That's his mentality going into it. I noticed on the track listing, there's a song called Back Into My Arms Again. Do you think? It is that song. It is that song. Yeah. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Finally. Finally, finally, he listens to us. Now, if we can only get him to do the Billy Joel song on the next Origins album. Yeah, I heard that song yesterday, and it reminded me of you bringing that up. And I'm like, God, that'd be such a perfect song for Ace. Perfect. But that's awesome that that's on there. Now we just need The Girl Can't Dance, right? Right. <laughs> I like that one, too, in an audio video. Hey, does Anton Fig play on this album? He does. Fuck yeah. Now I'm even more excited. He's not on the whole thing, but he's on, I think, four or five tracks, and then Joey Casada plays on the other ones. 
awesome. Ace Frehley, 10,000 volts. Brand new album coming out on the 23rd. There you have it. So we'll be talking about that in the future. Let us know in the comment section when you get it, what you think of it. Got a couple other ones coming out on the same day. I know you're going to be excited about this one. It's the eighth full-length studio album from Blaze Bailey. <laughs> Circle of Stone. You know, people kind of laugh at Blaze Bailey. He got kind of a bum deal with Iron Maiden, but you got to hand it to him. He's still been around all these years and must be popular enough to be able to keep putting out music and making it worthwhile. So you got to tip the hat a little bit to Blaze Bailey and show him a little respect for his stick to if nothing else. I heard the first single. It's actually not bad. Yeah? All right. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. I kind of want to cheer for Blaze Bailey. Oh, I don't blame him at all for the situation he landed in. He he just got the opportunity of a lifetime, but the, the I think the guys hired him because he was easy to work with, not so much that he was the right singer. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't wasn't the best fit no. for Iron Maiden. If you look at because Judas Priest went through kind of the similar thing, Judas Priest did way better with their choice of replacement singer. Well, because he was in the ballpark of what the guy he was replacing as far as ability wise. And then right. you're going to try to replace Bruce Dickinson and you bring that guy in. It's just not, you can't compare them. No. And then it changes the band completely. At that point, you might as well change the name of the band. Yeah. Call it something else. But nonetheless, Blaze Bailey's still at it. And then also on the 23rd, this one's been talked about for quite a while too. And it's finally upon us. The new album, the debut album, from guitar legend Mick Mars from Motley Crue. It's called The Other Side of Mars. It's coming out on the 23rd. We've been talking about this a little bit, about the sound of the album and how it's produced, and then I'm looking at it and going, wait a minute, Michael Wagner produced this? Parts of it. So it's just parts of it. So maybe it's the parts we haven't heard yet. I don't know. because I'm confused by it because... When we talked to Michael, it seemed like he was pretty distant from where it was at the time. So I'm so, guessing he must have got somehow reintroduced to the situation. I don't know. I need to hit him up again and say, what really ended up happening here? Because it was, it was pretty incomplete when we talked to him. Yeah, because at the time we talked to him, John Karabi was still in the conversation for that or was just very recently out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, should be interesting. Maybe there's other stuff on that album that is more friendly to Motley Crue fans. And maybe the singles were just meant to try to entice some radio airplay, which never came. Ain't going to happen because you're Mick Mars. I'm sorry. Play to your crowd, man. Play to your crowd. Ray Luzier plays drums on it. Yeah. No, there's a lot of talented people involved. Paul Taylor, Jacob Bunton, Brian yeah. Gamboa, like people we know. Um, very talented people. But it's just not what a lot of us want. So far. Yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll all find out on the 23rd together when that one comes out. And that's what you got for this coming week. And then the following week, I want to give you guys some heads up on a few more albums coming your way. You got a new thing from Bruce Dickinson talking about Maiden. It's called The Mandrake Project. Man, I saw that video for Rain on the Graves. It is awesome, man. I'm excited for this. Haven't seen it yet. It's pretty damn cool. Pretty damn cool. I think I like that song better than anything off the last Iron Maiden album. Yep, I said it. I think it's true. I'm almost sure that I'll feel the same way. Yeah. I do not like the new Iron Maiden album. 
Yeah, this got Roy Z on guitar, Dave Moreno on the drums, and of course the one and only voice of Iron Maiden, Bruce Dickinson. I'm telling you that video is pretty cool and the song's pretty great too. So check that out. That's coming on the first. Also on the first, seriously now, this one you'll be excited about. It's Chris Sinzak's favorite lead vocalist of Accept ever. David Reese has got a new album coming out. Oh, cool. I yeah. Baptized by Fire. You know, this guy has been doing solo stuff pretty consistently for the last good many years now. You know, yeah. be, being that this is his seventh studio album, and it's kind of cool. You know, you think about that, like David Reese was on that one Accept album and then got enough notoriety from it to be able to make a whole career out of it, you know, and his own talent and hard work as well, of course. But, you know, all these years later... You wouldn't expect to hear, you know, David Reese, the guy that sang on that weird Accept album, has got a new album coming out, but it's true, and he does. So if you're a fan of that stuff, you like rock, David Reese is a rocker, you're probably going to like that. And that one's also coming out on the first, as well as an EP from Doro. So last year, Doro released an album. It was Conquerous, Forever Proud and Strong, I think it was called. And now this is Conqueror's Extra EP. It's got five bonus tracks that didn't make the album last year, but the one I heard was pretty damn good. Did you know that Doro's album last year went to number five in Germany on the charts? Hmm. I believe it, though. It's pretty awesome. I had that one in contention on my list. Yeah, pretty cool, man. I like that. And then got a few more for the first. Ministry. Holy shit, Ministry's still around, and they're back. Hopium for the Masses. This one was expected back in uh, 2023, but they say it's finally coming out now, and it's supposed to be locked down for the first ministry, industrial metal. Those guys are still at it. Al Jorgensen and the guys. Right on. And then, oh, for you Oasis fans, I know there's some secret Oasis fans listening to this. Liam Gallagher and John Squire. Two guys, rock and rollers from back then, Oasis and the Stone Roses combined for this album. So if you like any of that old school alternative rock from England, you're probably going to dig that. That's also on the first. And then The Who, they've got live at Shea Stadium 1982 reprint getting put on the LP. And that one's coming your way on the first as well. So Mm. there you have it, some cool stuff. Coming our way in the next couple of weeks, I got to tell you, I'm pretty damn excited about Ace Fraley and pretty excited about Bruce Dickinson, too. Yeah, for sure. All right, so that's a look to the future. So then let's take a look to the past with some rock star death days. These are the folks we got to remember around this time that you're listening to this right now, pretty close to it anyway. Man, starting it off with a tough one right here. One of my all-time favorite lead vocalists. One of the truly greatest, most unique voices in rock and roll history. The one and only Bon Scott. Passed away in 1980 on the 19th at the age of 33. Mm. Death by misadventure. That's what they called alcohol poisoning back then, I guess. It's a strange title. Yeah, man, that sucks. ACDC was never the same. They survived all these years. You know, one of the few bands that could go from one amazing lead singer and just not skip a beat and move forward and, you know, 
have such a long, illustrious career. I, it's, I can't imagine being in a band with a guy as talented as Bon Scott, and then he's dead. And it's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? We're never going to be able to replace this guy. But they found a way. But, man, the legacy of Bon Scott lives on forever. I, I go back to the early ACDC so much more than I do the Brian Johnson era. And it's no shot at Brian Johnson or that era because they had great stuff too. But, mm-hmm. man, you just can't touch that old school Bon Scott ACDC. I saw the, somebody had uh, used in some kind of AI engine to make do a version of Back in Black with bon, Bon's voice singing the songs. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's kind of cool, but kind of weird at the same time. And it just—we're all so used to hearing Brian do them. It just—it's his album, not Bonds. Right? Does it sound good, or is it like strange? Like it don't even sound right. Well, at times it's—you can kind of hear like, "Well, I can—I could see him singing that." Like, "Have a Drink on Me" is totally a Bon Scott sounding song, mm-hmm. but "Shoot the Thrill," you know, like certain ones work with that voice, but then other ones don't. Yeah. Okay. Like, Back in Black didn't work with his voice. Well, I'm sure if he would have had a chance to be in the studio doing it himself, he'd have found a way, and it'd have been awesome. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's an interesting what-if to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a tough one right there. One of the greatest of all time. Then on the 20th, we want to remember back in 2003, Ty Longley was a guitar player. Actually, this one goes out to a lot of people because it is the anniversary of the infamous Station nightclub fire where 100 people lost their lives, including guitarist Ty Longley playing for Jack Russell's Great White that night. It's one of the worst stories in rock and roll history. Totally is, man. It makes me sad every time I think about it, like... You know, anytime anybody dies, it's terrible. When 100 people die, that's just awful. But when you know that it's 100 people that were fans of rock and roll, you know, going to see a good band play some great songs live. What year was it again? 2003. Yeah, and you know they were really good rock and roll fans if they're turning out in 2003 to see Great White. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there are people. Totally our people, and we lost a bunch of them that night. So, you know, we got to tip our hats a little bit to the station nightclub fire victims. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, I don't even really like talking about it because it sucks. Well, it, and then I can't remember the name of the documentary, but I think it's on Tubi. There's a documentary about the whole incident. And man, it's it's very well made and it's inspiring in parts. But if you're if you watch it, be forewarned, it's very difficult to get through. It's yeah. very emotional. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, hard, very hard to watch, but um, very well made. And apparently, Jack Russell's putting a book out soon. He's or he's working on it, and he's going to go into talking about it that's right you mentioned that on the last geek wire that he was writing a book yeah i feel bad for him because clearly it was an accident it maybe maybe wasn't well thought out but it certainly wasn't malicious you know jack russell never intended to hurt any of his fans and it's just everybody suffered from it just for not thinking things through ahead of time and having a freak thing like that happen it's terrible 
That's awful. All right, so we actually got quite a few of these this week, and that sucks. I always hate it when the Rockstar Death Days is a lot of people, so we'll rip through the rest of these here. On the 21st, you want to remember old-school Monkees drummer Peter Tork passed away. He he wasn't their drummer. Oh, wait, he played, what, he played bass? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because... Mickey was the drummer. Mickey Dolan's played the drums. Okay, that's right. Yeah, see... The fuck do I know about the monkeys? Their TV show was funny, and I thought Peter <laughs> Tork was the funniest one. And he passed away in 2019 at the age of 77. That poor guy, man, he was diagnosed with head and neck, and yeah, head and neck cancer. I guess it's mm. called. That's awful. You'd be one or the other, but that's both. Got diagnosed with it in 2009. Fought it for 10 years. So you got to give it to him there, man. Hell of a fighter. Um, let's see, on the 22nd, you want to remember back in 2022, at the age of 57, man, this guy, he was on drugs and alcohol pretty much his entire life. I'm talking about Mark Lanigan from the Screaming Trees, did a bunch of bunch of solo stuff, pretty cool over the years. Sober for over 10 years, though, you know, he partied hard his whole life, and he got sober for 10 years. Mm. And then right about the same time he's celebrating that anniversary, COVID almost kills him in 2020, like really bad. Like back when it first happened, he was like one of the first people that got it and they didn't know what to do about it. And the shit almost killed him. So then he was like, I got to get away from everything. So he moves to Ireland and then he ends up dying. So it's like he struggled so hard to get sober and then achieved it and was doing so good. And then he got really sick. And then that almost killed him. And then he got better from that and was doing a little bit better and was getting shit together and then dead. Damn. That's a bummer right there. Mark Lanigan was a hell of a songwriter, too. Not a lot of people that, you know, we talk about Warrant and Great White and stuff like that. Maybe not a lot of Screaming Trees fans, but I dig him. And that guy was a poet, man, and a hell of a singer. Mm-hmm. So then on the 23rd... You want to remember Howie Epstein. He was the bass player for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Passed away in 2003 at the age of 47. Man, another one. Lots of drugs. This guy was on him for a long, long time. To the point where Tom Petty's actually got to kick him out of the band in 2002 because he's just, it's gotten to the point, you know, where everybody was pretty understanding because, you know, everybody likes to have a little fun in this band, but... His got to the point where it was like, we got to cut you loose, man. We can't do it. And then a year later, as you would guess, dead from a heroin overdose. Yeah, he was bad off on the heroin. Yeah, that sucks, man. Death drugs are terrible. Yep. You know, and alcohol falls into that category, too, as we talk about this next guy, David Byron. He was the classic Uriah Heep singer from 1969 to 1976 when he was fired because his hard-ass drinking was just out of control. So then he's fired from Uriah Heep, and then like 10 years later, man, he's got liver disease so bad that it kills him at the age of 38. Drugs and alcohol, man, that shit ain't no good. Makes you kind of feel even worse for a guy that dies from something that he can't even control. Like in 1990, at the age of 26, think about the 26 years old, co-founder and guitarist for the band Armored Saint, Dave Pritchard, passed away 
so young and he had leukemia. So it's like you look at some of the guys that died from drugs and alcohol and shit and you go, damn, you know, kind of hard to feel bad for you dudes when this guy's 26 years old and he's got leukemia. He's got his whole life ahead of him and he's a hell of a guitar player. There ain't no telling what he'd have gone on to do. So then from the tender age of 26, here's a guy that lived a little bit longer, but man, he was through a lot. Talking about the longest surviving member of Leonard Skinner, guitarist Gary Rosington. We lost him last year on the 5th of March. Passed away, I guess, from old age and, you know, shit, everything accumulates. I mean, you survive plane crashes and shit. You make it to 71, I say good job. Right. Another classic singer from the 70s right here, Brad Delp. He's the original singer from Boston. Man, what a voice on that guy. Passed away back in 2007 at the age of 55. Boy, what a weird, weird tale at the end of this guy's life. Did you guys read into that one time? What happened to Brad Delp? Thoroughly depressing. Yeah, it's a weird thing, man. This is another one that bums me out, but I'm glad to remember her because she was such an important part of my teenage years. Back in 2021, on the 14th of March, at the age of 67, editor of Metal Edge magazine, two-time Jeopardy winner in 1986, one and only Jerry Miller passed away, 67, and she had cancer. What year was this? 2021. Yeah, because I was in touch with her uh, through email about coming to Rockin' Pot a few years ago. Man, that would have been awesome to have her. She wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah, well, now you know why. Well, she got, yeah, I mean, she got, uh, we love Stevie and Metal Sludge, but she got raked over the coals by them for years. Yeah. And I think it just turned her off of the whole scene. Yeah, maybe, you know, but I think... If she would have came to Rock and Pod, she would have got treated like a queen and maybe reignited her love for this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, to me, the the people on the inside of the L.A. scene, I'm sure they had their issues with her or whatever. But to me, I was just some kid that read Metal Edge every month. I always had respect for her. Right. Yeah, totally. And especially now looking back on it and realizing in retrospect how important all that stuff was to us. Sure. Man, that last Rocket Pie would have been the perfect one for her to have. A couple of pictures with her and Mark Ferrari in the room. People just said, this is the party to be at. <laughs> See what you did there. Uh-huh. Any readers of Metal Edge will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's Mark Ferrari again. Yeah. Um, here's one. Man, this is a real bummer, too, because this guy was so talented. Back in 1990, at the age of 24, lead singer of Mother Love Bone, Andrew Wood, dies. You know, Mother Love Bone, they only had like one album, one EP, but man, it's good stuff. And then, of course, when he dies, then that kind of is the the catalyst for the creation of the band Pearl Jam. So Mother Love Bone was more rock and roll. I like Mother Love Bone a lot better than I like Pearl Jam. And I would have loved to have seen what history would have had in store for a band like Mother Love Bone because it was such a weird time and they were a band that kind of straddled the line, you know, where he was kind of like Sunset Strip, but the rest of the band 
was totally like Seattle, Washington. And together, it made something special that's never really been replicated before. I always thought they were the seed that was planted for grunge. Yeah. But, man, he wasn't grunge at all. No, they were like a bridge between the two genres. Yeah. So I always wondered what would have happened with them. But, unfortunately, Andrew Wood, man, he loved to do drugs. The really deadly kind. Yeah. Chris Cornell had some great stories about him um, because they roomed together at the time. Yeah. And talking about his songwriting process and stuff. That's worth looking up on YouTube if you're interested in them. Right on. Yeah, I would definitely want to check that out. I didn't know about that. Yeah, they would... Both of them were just obsessed with writing songs, so they would like trade back and forth on using like whoever had the Fostex four track at the time. Yeah, and they would they would record demos and stuff. But yeah, he had a they him and Chris Cornell were super super close. It just kind of it just sucks that both of them are gone now. Yeah, yeah, way too young at twenty four for Andrew Wood. It's a shame. Yeah. yeah, death drugs will get you. Uh, let's see. Also on the sixteenth, we want to remember a guy named Daniel McMaster. He was the lead vocalist of Bonham. That's right. You remember Bonham back in the day? Man, back in 2008, Daniel was 39 years old. One of those crazy things where he thought he had a cold, but it ended up being a staph infection, and it ended up killing him. It's an awful story, and like that guy had so much potential. He had a great voice. Really great voice. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder like what he'd be doing nowadays. He would have landed on his feet, I'm sure. Yeah, most definitely. And then finally wrapping up this edition of Rockstar Death Days, here's a classic for you. The king of the surf rock guitar, Mr. Dick Dale, passed away in 2019 at the age of 81. You know, you don't think about surf rock too much when you talk about Decibel Geek, but if you think about that style of playing and the way the people that were influenced by him might be some of the people that were also influencing some of the guitar players of thrash metal. Oh, it's totally the the birth of thrash metal, even yeah. though before people even realized it. Totally. The roots of thrash metal is surf rock, and it doesn't get no bigger or better than the king of that stuff, Dick Dale. That dude played till he died. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Pretty awesome. Hell of a guitar player. Nobody ever talks about him as the greats, but you should. Wow, he was a great player. Yeah. But I'm just saying when they put together those lists, of like the top 100 guitar players of all time, yeah. that guy should be right up there, I think. He, he used to get a little bit of love, and I think it was mostly because of the Pulp Fiction connection, because yeah. you know, that's that's him playing the intro. Um, But like like he used to get a little bit of love, but like that's kind of tailed off since he died. Yeah. So there you go. Those are the people you want to remember this time around. Bust out some of that classic ACDC. You want to get in your car and crank up some surf rock guitar. People look at you crazy, but it'll be awesome. I'm telling you, check out some Mother Love Bone. What a great band. Old Skinner, Boston, all that good stuff. These are the people you want to remember this time around. And so then that leaves us with one thing left to look at. Oh, this is going to be a fun one this week. Talking about album anniversaries. So let's start out 20 years ago in 2004. These are the albums celebrating 20-year anniversaries. And we'll start it out like this with a band called The Brides of Destruction. It was a collaboration between Nikki Six and Tracy Guns. 
and they had Scott Coogan, who played with Ace Frehley for a while in the band, playing drums, and they had John Karabi on lead vocals. But that wasn't the way it ended up in the end, because before the album can be completed, John Karabi quits the band. So they find this guy, London Legrand, and they come out with a damn good album. Are you familiar with that one, Here Comes the Brides? Oh, yeah, I bought it when it came out. Yeah, me too. And London Legrand, otherwise known by his translated name, London the Big. Ah, the Big. Big London. (laughs) London was an interesting singer. He worked for that one project, but I don't think I had any interest in him in anything else. I don't know anything else he did after that. He tried a couple things, but he was terrible. I think he did a project with George Lynch, I want to say, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I didn't like that one. But the second Brides of Destruction album wasn't all that great either, but that just goes to show that Nikki Six really is a great songwriter because once he's out of the band, it goes downhill. Yeah. No, I like that first record. It was it was a good one. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Pretty underrated. It went to number ninety two on the charts in two thousand four. That's an accomplishment unto itself. Right, yeah. You know, this next one will surprise you if you think ninety two is impressive. The long-awaited return in 2004 of Tesla back after a six-year hiatus with Into the Now. It's the last album with Tommy Skio on guitar. And actually, I think the six-year hiatus had a lot to do with Tommy Skio as well. Probably right. So you wait all this time, and then you go back into the studio and go, all right, let's give it another try. And then you go, yeah, this, this just ain't happening. But... You think about 2004, that was a time that the feelings about those bands from the previous era before grunge had already started to change and they were getting appreciated again. Into the Now goes to number 31 on the U.S. charts. That's wild. Pretty cool. And then talking about another band making their big return in 2004, Exodus returns with their sixth full-length studio album, They're back with Tempo of the Damned. It's their big return, their first album since 1992. And it is the first album with Jack Gibson, former Rock and Pod guest on bass guitar. It's a damn good album. Yeah, I like that one. It's a good one. That one goes to number 67. Really? In Germany. Oh, okay. (laughs) I knew there had to be a caveat for that. I was at uh, Great Escape the other day, and um, I saw Force of Habit on cassette. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's the one Michael Butler plays on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wow. Crazy. Crazy small world sometimes. Michael Butler recently inducted into the Podcasting Hall of Fame, so congrats, dude. Really? I was thinking about him the other day. I was wondering if he still does it. He do- Yeah, he's up to, like, show 1,200-something. Wow, nice. Well, congratulations to Michael Butler. May I show you to your table? Oh, boy. <laughs> As I remind everybody, I'm sorry. He, came a year, he came a year later and had a great time and was well-behaved. I he, know. He, I, I know. He's, he's different, but I love him. Yeah, he's fun, and that's funny. I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, it's all good. <laughs> all right, so let's quit being assholes and jump back 25 years to 1991. Oh, no, I'm not done being an asshole yet because this album is pure freaking garbage it is the scorpions with eye to eye oh terrible just the worst thing that scorpions ever did i would take lonesome crow over this 
I'd take anything over that. <laughs> it's so bad. This album is so bad that when I bought the CD, and this many years after it came out, I was like, oh, I don't have this Scorpion CD. I put it in to listen to it, and I thought it was defective. <laughs> I took it out and looked at it. And it's like, well, it's not scratched. And I put it back in and played it, and it's like, is there something wrong with this? Is this the way this is supposed to sound? Apparently, that's the way it's supposed to sound. Oh, it's terrible. Really bad. The first Scorpions album to not chart in the U.S. since 1979. Well-deserved. Somebody bought it, and it was like, warned everybody else, don't <laughs> do it. Or maybe a lot of people bought them, but then they returned them because they thought they were defective. Who knows? Trust me, a lot of people did not buy that record. Oh, man, I'm telling you, honestly, that ain't no joke. I'm not making a funny thing here. I really thought there was something wrong with that CD. <laughs> I believe you. It's awful. <laughs> well, that's the only one I got, uh, sadly, celebrating a 25-year anniversary. Youch. So let's jump back 30 years. Oh, man, we got some good ones coming up now. 1994, I was there graduating high school when David Lee Roth came out with his album, Your Filthy Little Mouth. You like that one? Yes, I want to say I do because I was looking at the track list and I haven't listened to that one in quite a while. And there are some pretty good songs in there. I remember there being some pretty bad songs on there too, but I think there's some really good ones on there. Maybe not counting the one with Travis Tritt. Is that the one with uh, She's My Machine on it? Yes, that's a great song. That's the one song on that album I like. There's some other songs that are still pretty good, but that's the best song. And this is the album that's got John Regan on bass. Yep. And David Lee Roth, Your Filthy Little Mouth, with its, man, worst album cover David Lee Roth ever came out with, goes to number 78. What and is that, the album cover on that one? It's It's got lips and teeth on it. And it's it don't look like anything. It doesn't. Oh yeah, I don't know. It looks like a alternative album from the '90s, if I remember right. Right, but I don't understand that. Like nobody's gonna mistakenly go to the store to buy the new Meat Puppets album and accidentally pick up David Lee Roth because they were confused, <laughs> and then find out not only is it David Lee Roth, but it's also got Travis Tritt on it. I try to black that part out. Yeah, in my memory. But there are some good songs on there. You can pick and choose a couple there. And I like some Travis Tritt from the early 90s. I just don't want him working with David Lee Roth. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't make much sense. I spell T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Yeah, you do. <laughs> All right. So then also celebrating a 30-year anniversary, you know, David Lee Roth, you know, you got to talk about Soundgarden too, right? That fits hand in hand. Man, huge album for them. Super Unknown. You know the songs, Fell on Black Days, My Wave, Spoon Man, Black Hole Sun. Without question, this album made it to number one on the U.S. Billboard charts in 1994. There was not much bigger than that. Right. And all them songs still get played on rock radio to this day. Like, if you're a new rock station, you're playing all those songs. Yeah. Soundgarden's a band that does not get old even though they no longer exist. Man, this one here, I can't say I was ever a huge fan of this band, but man, this song off this album was inescapable in 1994. I'm talking about Nine Inch Nails with the album Downward Spiral. You know, the song I'm talking about is Closer. It was, man, you couldn't go to a bar 
or a club or anything without hearing that song getting played. It was everywhere. Yeah, that album was freaking huge. And I, I yeah, I own that one. I had it on CD. You know? Yeah. Although I like Pretty Hate, Pretty Hate Machine better than that one. Yeah, maybe I'll go back and listen to some Nine Inch Nails because I know I'm familiar with it because everybody had that album and they played it at all the parties. And so maybe, I don't know. I was resistant to stuff like that at that age. I was like, no, man, this David Lee Roth is awesome. Trust me. Yeah, Downward Spiral goes to number two in 1994. And then wrapping things up for 30-year anniversaries. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Motley Crue with their self-titled album in 1994, Motley Crue. That's with John Karabi on lead vocals. Vince Neil is out, but the band's still coming back. Man, this is a weird thing because when you look at it, like, chart-wise, you think, oh, this was a big success. But it jumped up and peaked at number seven, but then it dropped down to like negative seven hundred, like immediately <laughs> after that. Yeah, Every, everyone heard it and was like, "All right, no thanks." Yeah, because it wasn't Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, and that's what people wanted out of Motley Crue, even in nineteen ninety four, when none of this stuff was really considered that cool anymore. When Soundgarden and Nine Inch Nails are ruling the world, not a lot of people are clamoring for Motley Crue, but the ones that are. They expect Dr. Feelgood Part 2, and what they get is something completely different. Well, no in situation. Yeah. Because if they did something that sounded like Dr. Feelgood, everybody say, oh, you guys are out of step with the times. It's This doesn't work anymore. But then you go and you do something awesome like they did, and then they're like, oh, you're trying to be a grunge band. So right. you're fucked either way. Yeah, yeah. Because I got to imagine if... Say Motley Crue did stay together with Vince Neil and did come out with Dr. Feelgood Part 2. I got to imagine it would have done about the same thing. would have probably jumped right up there, peaked at 7, and then dropped into nothing. Yeah, because, I mean, there was a handful of bands that, like Bon Jovi, Journey, Def Leppard, could, they, they were able to pivot and still have hits in that era. I just don't see Motley Crue being able to do it. They weren't quite on that level. Yeah, I don't know. And those bands, Aerosmith included, really have to change their style. Yeah, and Aerosmith was the kings of that. Yeah. But it's like Aerosmith, Def Leppard, Journey, that's about it as so, far as bands from the 80s that really were able to make it work into the 90s. Well, and I guess for those bands, too, at that point, they took a major pop turn right at that point and van halen did too yeah I mean, van halen with sammy hagar yep yeah i mean i wasn't a giant fan of it i did like the f-u-c-k album i thought that was a pretty good record but everything after that was very adult contemporary housewife rock yeah they all became like corporate right after yeah. that real commercial sounding and motley crew you just you know motley crew's not a corporate band they're not going to be able to do that. You know, Motley Crue's not going to all of a sudden start having every other song is going to be home sweet home. And they're going to survive based on the power of their ballads like the other bands all did. And yeah. so Motley Crue can't, can't conform even if they wanted to. Well, I love them and hate them at the same time for how they handled it because I love them for having the balls to do that record with Karabi and go all in with Bob Rock as producer to make it sound as good as possible. Then they yeah. book a tour and they have Typo Negative and King's X as the opening acts. Yeah. 
and to have the balls to set all that up, that was ballsy and a, and a brave thing to do. But then the minute that they saw that the sales were not going to be anywhere close to what they were used to, they bailed. Right. Yeah, they could have stuck it And that's what I out. hate them for. Because they might have survived it because 2001 is right around the corner. So by that time, you're coming out with another Motley Crue album that's along the same vein as Motley Crue 94. Same lineup with John Karabi. By then, maybe those fans would have come back around to accept it. But I think they pulled the plug too quick. They did. They should have get. I mean, Generation Swine, if that was going to be the material, even with Karabi, I don't think it would have saved it. But I have to think that if Karabi had stuck around longer, the songs would have been fleshed out way better than what yeah. we got. Yeah, because you know that was a rush job. You know, Vince is back. Here's the song. Sing them. Yeah, and Vince sounds completely out of place on that album. Totally. It's, jeez, it's bad. I want, That's one I always wanted to like so bad. Because you're waiting for these bands to make their comebacks, you know, and then Motley Crue doesn't do it. And then it's like, okay, now they're getting Vince back. Maybe now Motley Crue's going to get that resurgence in popularity and people are going to love them again. And then that don't happen either. Yeah, Afraid is about the only song I like on that one. That's a good song. Yeah. There's one or two others on there that are okay, kind of. All right, so let's jump back now. 35 years to 1989. I only got one. It's the debut album from Extreme. <laughs> Not their best work, in my opinion. No, I mean, they're going to be okay with their upcoming albums, but the debut album only goes to 80. Doesn't have any real hits on it, but I think it's just nothing but an introduction to the band to set everybody up for the big hits that are coming later. Well, they have Kid Ego on there, which is an okay song. That one's all right. But then they had a video for the song Mother, and it was like, Mother, don't, don't want to go, go to school today. today. And I think I'd rather go outside and play yeah, is the chorus. Yeah. And that was my introduction to Extreme was that video. And I remember watching it, and I still feel this way. It sounds like what a ABC after school special would have pictured a metal band sounding like. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. <laughs> it's like the lyrics are so bad. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, and I learned some. I didn't want to go to school either, and I still don't. <laughs> That's how I felt about it when I first heard it, because I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to go to school either. That shit sucks. I mean, Nuno's guitar playing aside, of course. His right. playing is great, even on that record. Yeah, oh, yeah. And there's some cool, funky stuff on there, too. Sure. Not, it's just it's not their best, but, you know, it's yeah. not, like I said, it, that was more of a setup. Like, hey, we're going to introduce you. Now we're going to hit you with the hits, and these guys are going to get pretty damn big. Yeah, They found their way. All right, so now we're getting to the meat and potatoes of this thing right now. We're going back 40 years to 1984, man. We got some pretty important ones here to wrap this thing up. So you talk about 1984, man, this is pretty awesome right here. The debut album from Rat, Out of the Cellar. Can't yeah. hardly touch it. It's so good. Yeah, I wouldn't change a thing about it. No, that one goes up to number seven, which is pretty damn impressive for a band like that considering what year it is you know this is all first starting to kind of bubble up and rats right there and they're one of the first most popular hard rock bands to come out of the sunset strip so those guys are paving the way for a lot of cool stuff for many years to come i'm seeing that on mtv i'm going yeah that's awesome now i'm seeing this next one on mtv i'm going this band sucks and i'm never gonna like them and all these years later i still struggle with it i want to like them but man when this is your introduction to Queen, 
and I'm talking about Radio Gaga, it doesn't make it easy. Yeah, anniversary for the album The Works goes number 23 in the U.S. I like that. I like that album, and I like that song. I don't even have that album, I don't think, just because of that. Like, I always pass on that one. It's like, it's a trick because they look cool and tough on the cover, but then it's got the song Radio Gaga on it. Well, there's um, there's a song on that album you would like called Hammer to Fall. Okay. They play it on the Live Aid performance. All right. Well, maybe I'll check that out then because I we am, still got to do a heavier side of Queen. I am working my way through the Queen discography. Now, we talked about Queen and we also talked about doing one for Queen's Reich. And I now currently own every Queen's Reich album. I've done it. I've hunted them all down, found them all at decent enough prices that I accumulated over time the entire discography. So I'm ready for that one. But I guess I'm just gonna have to really break down and go get the works. <sighs> so the so the assholes on Kiss FAQ can no longer say you don't know anything about Queensrÿche. That's right, because I'm learning, and it's it's because <laughs> of that, you sons of guns, you made me do this. Sons of bitches, come on, it's a podcast. Made me mad. <laughs> I'll show you. I don't know nothing about Queensrÿche. <laughs> I'm going to go buy every album. <laughs> I love internet rock and roll wars. It's so fucking amusing. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, so we keep going. We are in 1984. It's 40 years ago. We're celebrating the anniversary of This Is Spinal Tap <laughs> with such classics as Sex Farm, Big yeah. Bottom, and Hell Hole. Best song on the record. Hellhole? Yes. I don't know. I kind of like the song America. That's good. Big Bottom's good just because of the lyrics are so funny. Sex Farm's even is pretty cool. Did you know that Ace Fraley kind of apes Spinal Tap on uh, the new record? On the title track, 10,000 Volts, he has the line, um, I'll never leave her behind. Nice. That's reminding me of Big Bottom. That's such a clever line in that song, too. How could I leave this behind? And I, the, the pause before. How could I leave this behind? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. First time <laughs> I heard that, I was like, that is genius. <laughs> and surprisingly, that one only goes to 121 on the U.S. album charts. But, I mean, it is technically it's a soundtrack. We're supposed to be getting a uh, sequel to the movie soon. For real? Yeah, they're they're making it. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That is awesome. I look forward to that. All right, so 40 years ago, celebrating an anniversary right now, Ingve Malmsteen, the debut album, Rising Force. That's with Jeff Scott Soto. Mm, hard to top that first one. I think that's the one that a lot of people go to when they're going for their, their Ingve. It's so funny you bring him up right after Spinal Tap because I was watching a thing about the making of the We Are Stars thing, you know, that Dio led. Yeah. And they're they're interviewing David St. Hubbins from Spinal Tap during the making of it. And he's like, yeah, I was impressed with everybody, especially Ingve Malmsteen. You know, I love that he puts Ingve J, J. Malmsteen in his name so you don't confuse him with all the other Ingve. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, you never confuse his name. That's for sure. Yeah. Might have trouble spelling it, but you'll never mistake it for somebody else. <laughs> yeah, debut album from Ingve Malmsteen goes to 60 on the U.S. That's charts. A, Pretty impressive. That's a good one. Yeah. 
And then wrapping up 40-year anniversaries with the Cars, Heartbeat City. That's the one that's got Hello Again, and You Might Think. And did you know that Peter Chris was a huge influence on the drummer from the Cars? I did not know that. Yeah, he influenced him to write a song that is unlike anything else that the band does, and weird and slow and sappy and sweet, and it become the biggest song in the band's career. And that's Drive? that's what he did with Drive. No shit. Well, I mean, I'm making all that up, but oh, geez, I thought you had a really cool story about Peter Chris there. Well, no, well, I mean, yeah, because like that's exactly what Peter Chris did to Kiss, and that's what this guy did to the Cars. No, but I thought you were like. Talk, like quoting an interview or something that oh, he no. gave saying, because of Peter Chris, I wrote drunk. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's fucking cool. I said that if he could ruin Kiss, I could ruin my band and also oh. be the most successful member and rub it in everybody's face all the time. You don't like the song Drive? I mean, it's a nice song. It's a good, well-written song and everything, but, I mean, I like songs like, you know, You Might Think and Hello Again and... The stuff that's a little more rocking, not the one weird song that ends up being the huge hit. Those videos were such a big part of my childhood. Yeah. I, would, I would watch those on MTV when they were new. Like you might think in um, Magic. Remember that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like Magic. That's a good song. The Cars had great videos in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, because you think about it, we're talking about 1984. That's right smack dab and when music videos are really becoming important. And you look at Queen, you know, these are the bands like the Rolling Stones I couldn't get into because they were so weird around this time. And this is when I'm starting to really like put two and two together, like the artists and the songs, the songs and the artists, because now you see the artists performing the songs in the videos. And then you go, oh, man, Queen sucks. But then later on in life, you get introduced to some older stuff and then you go, oh, okay, well, Queen was actually pretty cool, but they were just trying to fool me in 1984, apparently. It was an interesting time because you had bands. Basically, it became either you have to be good-looking, and if you're not good-looking, you have to be interesting. Because Rick Ocasek from uh, The Cars is not a good-looking guy, but he looked really interesting. So oh, it worked yeah. for videos. But then, like, sorry, 38 Special. Sorry, REO Speedwagon. You don't look right. Right, yeah, you guys are kind of nerdy-looking. Get out of here. It was curtains for bands that were not attractive. Yeah. All right. So that's 1984. That's 40 years ago. Now we jump back 45 years to 1979. I just got one, and it's Super Tramp, Breakfast in America, also known as Super Tramp's Greatest Hits. Yeah, pretty much. This is where all the songs come from. I mean, you got the logical song on here. That That's crazy. And then Take the Long Way Home. That's a song that everybody knows. And that was so huge in 1979 that Breakfast in America goes to number one in the United States. And if you want some fun uh, tinfoil hat reading, look up 9-11 Conspiracy and Super Tramp. What? There's a big 9-11 Conspiracy related to the album cover for that album. Oh, yeah, because you got the cityscape in the background. Huh, that's interesting. Oh, there's a whole breakdown of it online. It's worth looking up. Not that it really means anything. Well, no, but it's, because it's that album came out in 1979. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, people can find stuff. When you're looking for stuff, you can find it. Yeah, but it's it's fun reading. Okay, so now 
Ooh, this is it right here. This is the part that I've been looking forward to. It's a big one this time around. Talking 50-year anniversaries. That means we're going back to 1974, and we got some pretty important albums to talk about. Started off with this one. It's their eighth full-length studio album, but in a lot of ways, it's a totally different band. Talking about the album Burn by Deep Purple. It's their first album with Coverdale and Hughes in the band. And it's, you got to remember, like, their last album just came out like a year ago, a year before this. So all of a sudden, they're like a completely different band. And the album that they came out with had the song My Woman from Tokyo on it. So Deep Purple's still successful right up to this point. And then Ian Gillen's out of the band. And so they end up replacing them with not one singer, but two singers. Plus, you got Glenn Hughes on bass. Man, this album... In all, you know, logic, you would think, oh, this is the end. You know, this is where Deep Purple went downhill. But actually, man, Burn is an amazing album. And they never even missed a beat. Like, for the last album came out, went to number 15, Burn goes to number 9. So, technically, they're doing even better than they were with the last guy. No, it's my favorite Deep Purple album. Yeah, it's so good. So good. Yeah, you can't top Burn. That might be the best Deep Purple album. It's my favorite because, well, we know about my feelings on Ian Gillen's voice. But great record, and then I know what you're about to get to because it came out like three days later, right? Uh, Talking about Humble Pie? Oh, I was thinking of something else. Oh, I've got a few, man. i got a few on this list in no particular order, but right around this time. Uh, Humble Pie comes out with Thunderbox. That's their seventh full-length studio album. Yeah, the Humble Pie is one of them tough bands because they're way bigger here in the States than they were in their home in the UK, which is weird because when Steve Marriott was with the Small Faces, they were a huge deal in England. But then Humble Pie is bigger here in the States, but even here in the States, they're not that big. But this is one of those bands that people look back in retrospect and go, Man, you know, people should have paid more attention to that band back then. And Thunderbox is a great album. Still manages to make the charts and peaks out at 52 in 1974. Another band, a little more successful, has the same kind of thing going on. Super, super popular in the United States, especially around 74. Grand Funk Railroad comes back with their eighth full-length studio album, Shining On. It's the follow-up to their Platinum. We're an American band. Always tough to follow up something like that, but they do pretty good with the release of Shining On. It's got the cover of Locomotion on it. You know, everybody's doing a brand-new dance now. Come on, baby. Do the Locomotion. That goes up to number five on the U.S. charts. We're going to talk about Queen twice in this episode, and, you know, the difference between 1974 and 1984 to me is huge because when you talk about, like, 84 Queen... Radio Gaga. When you're talking about 1974 Queen, you're talking about Ogre Battle. My favorite Queen song. Off of Queen 2, released in 1974. That one goes to number 49 on the charts. Got a couple more here. Oh, Chris is waiting. He knows it's coming. But first, we're going to talk about Aerosmith. Their second full-length studio album comes out, Get Your Wings. That one goes to number 74. That's an amazing album. It's a... Not their best, but they're getting there. It's way better than their first. So you're yeah, seeing 
you're seeing the progression with Aerosmith. They're getting better and better with every album they're releasing back then. And then, yes, here it is, the moment we've all been waiting for, celebrating a 50-year anniversary released back in 1974. You might have heard of this band if you've listened to this show before. I'm talking about KISS. Their debut album goes to 87 on the charts. It's another band. They're going to struggle for a while, but they're going to get there. But, man, what an important album. 50 years. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wild. We're as old as Kiss almost. <laughs> yeah. We're all old. We should all retire. I'm amazed that I outlived Kiss. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I, I was starting to wonder. I'll make sure to tell the wife to put engrave that on your gravestone. Although, the I don't know, the avatars are going to live on, right? I guess. Maybe by the time it's our turn to go, we can have avatars too. Decibel Geek, Geek Avatars. <laughs> have AI hosting the show. Uh, in our voices, talking about the good, bad, and the ugly of the world of rock and roll in 2058. AI would be saying something, something, something. Enough's enough, something, something, something. Ugly kid Joe. <laughs> People still tune into it. Something, something, something. Juice Newton. This was. I'm listening to retro podcasts from 2024. All right. No, pretty amazing though, right? I mean, fuck, it's the debut album from Kiss. You can almost call that Kiss's greatest hits as well. Yeah, pretty much. The kind of the basis for their uh, set list for the whole their whole career, pretty much. Right up to the very end, we're gonna play the whole debut album minus a song or two, and then we're gonna, you know, sprinkle in a couple other songs throughout the years. But you know, those those songs off that first album, you gotta have them because, I mean, honestly. Is the debut album the best Kiss album? You could make an argument for it. I think so. I think it is. For As far as studio albums, as far as importance goes, I think you kind of have to give it to it. Yeah, I think so too. Song for song. If you're it's not my favorite by any means, but you could say it's the most important one. What Kiss album would you rather listen to than the, than the debut album? Rock and Roll Over. I don't know, man. The songs aren't as good on Rock and Roll Over as on the debut album. It's a more enjoyable listening experience. I'd rather listen to Creatures than the first album. Is it because you're burned out on those songs? Those awesome, amazing songs? No, I love those songs. I respect that. I'm saying as far as like if I'm ranking by importance, I would put the first album there. But if I'm going for what I grab and listen to, no, it wouldn't be in the top five even. Oh, well, I grab that one and listen to it all the time because it's one of my all-time favorite albums. I think it's the best Kiss record. It's got the best songs. Well, well, bully for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying you have to think that way. I'm just saying. It kind of sounded like it the hell's wrong with you man it's the debut album from kiss don't you know it went to number 87 on the u.s charts i just wish uh kerner and wise weren't the producers yeah you wish there was more songs like beth on it not really (laughs) we need a more love theme from kiss yeah i like that still i don't care I I, i love that gene brought it out when he did the solo shows yeah that's cool all right, and then one more, Oof, way back, 55 years ago. That takes you back to 1969 for the MC5, Kick Out the Jams. How big of balls did this band have? Their debut album was a live album. Yeah. And it was a huge controversy 
because the radio version, you know, the famous introduction to the song, kick out the jams, brothers and sisters. <laughs> That's the way you heard it on the radio. And so the idea was you release that on the radio, the single starts getting some attention, people go, wow, I've never heard nothing like this before, I want to check out that album, and then they get the album, and the introduction is left unchanged, where it says, kick out the jams, motherfuckers, and people go nuts. You know that in 1969, you could get arrested, potentially, for selling this album in your store? Really? It's true. It was such a big deal. Because of the swear word on the album back in 1969, to say such a heavy curse word like that back then was pretty scary for people. So, I mean, simpler times, yes, you know, kind of weird too. You know, I like somewhere in the middle between what we got now and what we had then would have been nice. I guess I'm glad I grew up when I did. So, yeah, you could have got arrested for selling that album in '69. And then, of course, controversy dies off after a while mc5 they don't stick around too long but still a pretty important album in the history of rock and roll absolutely and there you have it that is the camaro segment i've given you all the people that have passed away that we need to remember i've talked about all the albums celebrating anniversaries so if you're nostalgic like that you might want to pull some of them out this week and listen to some of that stuff and go yeah man 45 years ago holy shit pretty great and then of course next week and the following week we've got some cool albums coming our way kicking ass already in 2024 got some cool stuff going on but before we move on to any more of your stories man i got a confession to make okay and it's something i'm not really proud of and i'm actually pretty ashamed about and I figure, you know, if I'm going to bear my shame, where better to do it than on a podcast listened to by people all over the entire planet to lay it bare right here and now for everybody. And I might even be dragging you down in the shame with me. Uh-oh. Did you know that former Jackal vocalist Jesse James Dupree came out with a new album? I had no idea. I had no idea either. And let me tell you, Jesse James Dupree is one of those guys that when he's coming out with something new, whether it's Solo or Jackal, I want to know about that because I'm going to buy it because I freaking love Jackal. Jackal's one of my bands. I love that band. I've seen them live so many times. They were such a big deal in central Wisconsin when I was there in my radio days. Got to interact with those guys quite a bit. And just loved the music, like Southern Rock, ACDC, loved it. And come to find out, like I'm doing my just regular due diligence and trying to make sure I'm not missing nothing for albums coming out. And I see this thing about, no, this goes back even further. About a week ago, I saw a friend of mine from Wisconsin post on Facebook, the new Jesse James Dupree song is really awesome. This was just a week ago. And so I go, huh, I didn't know he had a new, so I look it up and it's a song and I go, hey, that is pretty cool. Like, oh, I like that a lot. And then I think, okay, well, then he must be having a new album coming out sometime soon. And then I was remembering as I was putting together my list for this, oh, yeah, got to check on that Jesse James Dupree and come to find out that album's been out for a minute. Oh, really? And somehow we missed it. And I missed it. And I felt terrible about it. But you know what I did? I immediately ordered it. So 
that should be coming in the mail pretty soon. And I'm going to play something off it, I'm sure. At least, if, if even if the rest of it stinks, that one song I heard was great. I'll be playing that the next time I get an excuse to do it on the show. Maybe we can do a Radio Sucks or something pretty soon. And, yeah, I just I feel terrible about it because it's like when you got bands that you support and you want to keep up with and you want to make sure that they're still putting out music and that when they do, you're supporting it. I know everybody that listens to this show has got bands like that that no matter what, when they're coming out with something new, you know about it, and you are definitely supporting it. And this one slipped past me somehow, and I'm a huge fan of the guy. Hmm. Yeah, I had no idea. So to everybody else that apparently maybe didn't know either, I want to let you know, Jesse James Dupree from Jackal's got a new album out. It's called Breathing Fire, and it's available now. Any uh, power tools involved on this one? I can tell you this, Brian Johnson was involved in some of it. Really? Yeah, they worked together on some songs. They wrote some stuff together, and it's on this album. Huh, I'd be interested in hearing that. Yeah, I'm super excited for it, and like I said, deeply, deeply ashamed. (laughs) I said to my wife, I'm the host of the fucking Decibel Geek podcast. How did I not know this? And she was gobsmacked. Yeah, she didn't even want to respond to me. She just shook her head and walked away. (laughs) I believe that. (laughs) (laughs) She said, whatever, honey, I'll order it for you if it'll make you happy. We don't talk about politics in our house. We talk about the fact that we overlooked the Jackal or the Jesse James Dupree album release. I feel bad. I really do. You got to take a hard look at yourself, brother. How many other bands that I love are releasing albums that I don't know? And who the hell's in charge of marketing for Jesse James Dupree? That's, well, somebody who needs to be fired, apparently. I'm guessing it's probably Jesse James Dupree. Yeah, probably. I like can fire himself. I'm going to put it on the website now, y'all. I don't want to print too many of these, so let's not go crazy. Yeah. Let's keep it quiet. I get a better deal if it stays under 300. <laughs> Well, apparently I've just ordered myself a collector's item. Speaking of uh, albums that will probably sell more than 300, Rob Halford has uh, a pretty big promise on the new Judas Priest song, The Serpent and the King. He says it will, quote, rip your head off. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, because my head hasn't been ripped off by any of the songs so far. Yeah, and uh, I think that's coming out on Friday also. And uh, Invincible Shield, the album, comes out March 8th on Sony Music. Um, I've liked everything. I, I don't know. Crown of Horns, I didn't like that much. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I thought these songs were all okay, but like I said, none of it really ripped my head off. Panic Attack, I, I liked a lot. I did like that one, but I'm excited to hear this next one. But like everybody's like, well, is it going to par with um, the last album? I don't know that that's fair. You know, I just, I'm if it's even approaching that, I'll be happy. It's hard to back up and follow up another really good album and firepower was a really really good album yeah but i think it's their best album since uh defenders of the faith 
Yeah, that's that's pretty arguable. I could see that, but is this one going to be better than that? Man, if it is, that's going to be something. But well, I, I don't. I'm not know. even expecting that. But I mean, I have a feeling I'm going to like it a lot. So uh, I'm excited for this one. I got my pre-order in for it, and uh, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I guess the new song comes out later this week, so we'll see what it. We'll see if my head remains attached to my body. We'll, we'll find out next week. Like, and with me, Chris Sinzak. Yeah, if you if you don't hear anything, you'll know what happened. <laughs> My head's on so, the floor across the room. I'm so sorry. It's all Rob Halford's fault. Sebastian Bach in the news. Uh, I just like the headline for this. He said he he recalled telling Gene Simmons' daughter, Sophie, how Kiss had inspired him to launch his own career in rock. And I love the headline just because I'm picturing 50-plus-year-old Sebastian Bach sitting next to Sophie and spilling his guts out like Chris Farley to Paul McCartney about how how important (laughs) her dad is to him. And she's like, yeah, that's that's nice. Thanks. Hey, Sophie, Sophie, you remember that time that your dad spit blood? Man, that was awesome. I can't Dude. I can't do it like Baco. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. I wish he was here. Your dad <laughs> really influenced me. I hope you know that. Oh the man. Apparently anybody's Sebastian Bach impersonation that's not my own is super hilarious to me. <laughs> I saw a great thing the other day that I haven't seen in forever. It was Sebastian Bach on Oh, what was her name? The talk show Ricky Lake? Yeah, I saw that too. Talking about smoking weed? Yeah. That was a pretty cool thing to see, man. Him young, acting normal. Pretty cool. Yeah, he came off like the most sane person on the whole stage. Well, I mean, that's something when you think about old school Ricky Lake and some of the guests that were on that show. I wasted so many hours watching those talk shows back then. That'd be like being the least horny person on stage at the Jerry Springer show. I thought we'd just go over it real quick. The uh, nominees for the Shambolic Rock and Roll Hall of Fame have come out, and the nominees include Ozzy, Foreigner, Jane's Addiction, Oasis, Peter Frampton, and Lenny Kravitz, and the rock that are actual quote-unquote rock people. And then other than that, Mariah Carey, Sinead O'Connor, Cher, Sade, Mary J. Blige, A Tribe Called Quest, Dave Matthews Band, Ugh. Eric B. and Rakim, and the and cool in the gang. Oh yeah, cool in the gang. I like that. I like them. They're not rock and roll, no, but I like them. They're pretty close though. They're yeah, they're, they're funky. More, they got guitars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ozzy for sure needs to be in. Yeah, I think Foreigner deserves to just based on hit the amount of hits they had. I can't believe Foreigner's not in it. To be honest with you, that's one of those bands that should have been in a long time ago. Well, they were kind of like the poster boys for corporate rock, weren't they? 
You would think so, and there ain't much more corporate rock than the stinking Hall of Fame. Yeah. Jane's Addiction? Uh, I don't know. I guess so. I guess so. I mean, Oasis, too, that kind of falls in that same category. I mean, they're not classic rock, but... Yeah, but Oasis was huge on a worldwide scale. I think they deserve it. Jane's Addiction was pretty damn popular, too, though. Not as big as Oasis. No. Um, no, nobody called Jane's Addiction the reincarnation of the Beatles. Right. Uh, Peter Frampton, I don't know how we feel about that. I think so, yes. Yeah, I think so, too. Frampton's in. Uh, Lenny Kravitz. I don't... That one confuses me a little bit because... What has Lenny Kravitz done lately? I mean, or anywhere, really, other than, like, he had that... uh, are you gonna go my way? And then he had kind of, yeah. And then he had American Woman cover the old Guess that's Who a cover. song, yeah. And that's really about well, it, I, isn't it? Let Let Love Rule was kind of his first hit, but I don't know. He didn't have. I don't remember him being a gigantic star. So I don't. I respect him, but I don't know that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't. I don't see it unless there's some other reason for it, but I don't know. Dave Matthews Band, of course. Oh, God. That's the worst band ever. Like, I would rather listen to U2 and R.E.M. and Depeche Mode mixtapes than listen to any Dave Matthews Band. I hate them. I don't know that I hate them that much. I hate them. I don't love them. I don't really even like them, but... I would rather rather lay under their tour bus... And get get a bunch of shit dumped on you? Yeah, get poop dumped all over me, then listen to their music. It's kind of funny that that became their legacy. That is funny. <laughs> Where is that, in Minnesota? Uh, no, it was in Chicago. Oh, was it was in Chicago? Okay. On the river that goes right through downtown. Yeah, they just <laughs> evacuated the bowels of their bus right in the streets. Yeah, tour bus driver made a bad decision. Um, but yeah, that's that's the nominees. Who get, who really cares? Um, another headline that I just love is Jeff Tate on why he hasn't released a solo album in seven years. It's quote, just so much work. And it's funny. I just recently realized that Jeff Tate had solo albums when I found one, and I was like, what? Ninety nine cents? I don't even know that this was such a thing, you know. And I was like, okay, I'll get it, but I haven't listened to it yet. I just love the. I love that. That's his reaction. It's it's just so much work. Yeah, I suppose you gotta get a band together and get in the studio and you gotta write songs and who's got time for that shit? I'm giving wine tours. Yeah, exactly. Strum says that there is, quote, crazy interest in an upcoming slaughter film. Hmm. Well, it's like you said, pretty soon every band is going to have a biopic about them. 
Yeah, he was on uh, White Line Fever TV and was asked about the status of the band's upcoming documentary. He said, we are in the process of working with two major companies that you guys would all know well that I don't want to say because they both know they both shouldn't know that, but they both have crazy interest in it. And one of them wants it tailored a little bit to them. And we've said we want it to be honest and real. And that may call the cards because the real story is really true. That's a really confusing quote. Mm, that sounds like something Dana Strum would say. Yeah. Well, it also sounds like they're trying to play two companies against each other in like a bidding war. That sounds like something Dana Strum learned from Vinnie Vincent. And um, my buddy Vic, who runs the Vinnie Vincent fan forum, actually ran into Dana a couple days ago because the band's in there playing the Glam Fest in uh, Melbourne. And uh, he asked Dana about it, and he said, no, it's a real thing, and it's happening, and it will go back to the Vinnie Vincent invasion days. Oh, shit. Yep. Oh, man, who are they going to get to play Vinnie Vincent? <laughs> Eliana Douglas. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, no. Vinny Vincent's got to be just reading that going, I can't wait to sue. Oh, yeah, probably. I'm sure there, there's going to be a threat. There's probably already been a threat issue just off that headline. Yeah. I was thinking about the band Slaughter the other day about how we did our warrant episode last week. And that I had mentioned, like, man, the whole change of grunge and all that, you know, nobody got hit harder than Warrant, but... When I think about it, man, Slaughter was right there with him the whole time. Yeah. Came up at about the same time and rode down at about the same time and ended up on a lot of them same tours throughout the uh, 2000s also. Yeah. So Slaughter right there with Warrant as being one of the bands that were the biggest casualties of the grunge wave, the great grunge wave of 1991. Best and worst of uh, Slaughter sometime? I'd love to do that. Yeah, that's, that'd be a great one. Quick little fun stories. Uh, the Loudwire put out a 101 hilarious and bizarre rock tour writer request. And, of course, we're not going to go through 101 of these things. But um, just a couple things. Touring writers are always interesting to see because you see how picky certain people are about what they eat and drink. Yeah. Um, and what they like on, in their backstage area. ACDC in 2008 on the Black Ice Tour, they requested uh, many of the usual items of water, soda, coffee, but also for some greenery, two live potted trees to height depending on ceiling. So they wanted trees in their dressing room. Wow. That's a little strange. Aerosmith, um, no booze allowed backstage. Full-length portable mounted glass mirrors. Uh, they did ask for draft root beer in a keg where possible. Corn on the cob, fresh ears, cook three minutes daily. Okay. Huh. Axel Rose. Uh, his writer once included multiple Italian classics, pepperoni pizza, pasta primavera, and fettuccine, Alfredo among them. And don't forget the white bread. It must be Wonder Bread brand. Wow, it's got to be Wonder Bread. It's just so 
bizarre the way some of these people have quirks. And there better be a Raleigh Fingers baseball card in the bottom of it. A Raleigh Fingers baseball card? In the in the Wonder Bread. Oh, okay. Wasn't that Wonder Bread that you used to get baseball cards in? Maybe that was a, Yeah, I think you're right. I just I didn't make the connection. I was going to say maybe it was a Wisconsin thing. Somewhere else it would have been somebody else. For me, it was Raleigh Fingers. Uh, Black Sabbath, and for their 2001 tour rider, they would only accept PG tips or Yorkshire gold. Uh, what is oh, that? Oh, that's the brand of tea that they like. Oh, okay. British people, <laughs> they love their tea. I don't even know what that is. I didn't either. Can you smoke it? Uh, bon Jovi on one tour rider, they the dressing room was required to have one large urn containing hot homemade low-fat chicken noodle soup. That's okay. not interesting. All right. They didn't need to do 101 of these things. Unless it was a real urn, then it would be pretty metal. Then you think that would be Black Sabbath. Uh, cheap Trick Pizza is a pretty common meal request to find on a post-show tour rider. But if you're feeding Cheap Trick, it's, quote, no Domino's pizza. Oh, they don't like Domino's. Yeah. Take anything else but Domino's. Huh. Foo Fighters wanted a four-pair of medium boxer shorts and tube socks. Oh, Yeah. I read something once that socks is a big deal on the road. Like if you can get socks on your rider, that's a good thing because then you can throw away your old socks and put on some nice fresh ones. Right. Uh, an old tour rider for Guns N' Roses said that they required three different types of cigarettes and an assortment of adult magazines. Wow. That sounds about right. The poor guy that's got to go down to the gas station. <laughs> Oh, I found Kiss. You get six different magazines. Uh, there are four members of Kiss, but on their tour rider, only two cans of Pringles were requested, one barbecue and one regular. But there's also six chocolate rice cakes and six more caramel ones to go around. This is hard-hitting news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it should surprise no one that Motley Crue listed some outlandish things on their rider, a 12-foot boa constrictor and a jar of Grey Poupon mustard. Wow. What are you doing with that mustard? Feeding it to the boa, I guess. Yeah, Ozzy, um, vitamin B shots. Hmm. Pantera, 12 bean burritos, 24 tacos, three taco salads, and a big bag of hot sauce. Nice. (laughs) So, yeah, that's, I mean, it's kind of a goofy article, but kind of fun to look at. Pantera's got the munchies. Yeah. Just a historical note. 42 years ago this week, Ozzy Osbourne was arrested for urinating on the Alamo. Nice. (laughs) I was just telling a young guy, and we talked about this on VIP a little bit. uh, Chris Sinzak came and surprised me and visited me 
at a pro wrestling show I was working at over the weekend. And one of the young kids I was talking to backstage was saying something about Ozzy, about something he'd seen on TV and how goofy Ozzy was. And it's funny to me to say to this kid, you know, hey, when I was your age, Ozzy Osbourne was a guy that was feared. And I'd tell him, like, when I wanted to buy Ozzy Osbourne records, my dad said, I don't know if I should let you get that. And it's for stuff like this, you know, it's like, well, you know, they say he worships the devil. They say he bites the head off of animals and he, you know, pisses on sacred monuments and, you know, all these things that like Ozzy Osbourne was dangerous back then. Right. But he really wasn't dangerous. He's the same guy he is now. But it was the image that made the public see him as somebody dangerous but then when you're looking at this it's like oh no he was probably just fucked up on drugs wearing one of sharon's dresses didn't know where he was just decided to take a leak and had no idea he was peeing on the alamo oh no every it 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 was such a different time no internet and it was just all you had was the magazines and pictures and the albums so like the word of mouth and all the ridiculous theories that would get passed around about him like my parents were convinced he was like the devil incarnate. Yeah. You know, they, I owned, um, was it blizzard of Oz on a cassette tape that a buddy of mine sold to me for $2. I still remember the transaction and I brought it home and I'm playing it and they're like, what the fuck is this? And like, they, even they knew because adult, you know, parents back then would talk to each other about the, the rock bands and they did not like it one bit. Yeah. Or no, nor uh, number of the beast by Iron Maiden. Yeah, and they caught me watching that on MTV and freaked out. Well, I'm glad my parents really didn't. They didn't really care too much about that stuff. But I think my mom had a talk with me one time, and I was like, "They're just songs. It's just music. It doesn't mean anything, you know. I'm not gonna worship the devil because of this." And she was just well, like, oh, "Okay, cool." And that was the end of it. Well, my parents weren't like crazy fundamentalists. It was just more of this, the the initial shock. Right. Um, they just didn't like it, but they didn't bar me from listening to it. Thank God. Right. But, yeah. Because that was the yeah. same thing. Like my uncle Bruce, I bought his records off of him. Like after I got Kiss, Ozzy was number two. I went back. I got all the Kiss. I went back. It's like, what am I going to get now? Oh, Ozzy. And I got the records back to my car, back to the car. And my dad goes, oh, what did you get? And I was like, check it out. And he's like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the only thing I remember them making a huge stink about was I was listening to the, I think it was the Prince Purple Rain album, and it was the song Darling Nikki, where about the whole, you know, she was masturbating with a magazine line. Yeah. And my mom heard that, and then like, where did you get this from? And my buddy Mark from down the street had loaned it to me. And I'm like, Mark, she marched me over to his house to, to turn the tape into his mom because she was so pissed off about it. That's like the only time they freaked out. Do you know these boys are listening to ear porn? Yeah. Well, it's funny, though. She was okay with 666, the numbers of the number of the beast. <laughs> but God forbid this woman masturbates with a magazine. Yeah, that's not fairy tale. That shit's real. It's just funny how sex was viewed as more evil than Satanism. That is kind of weird. <laughs> 
But that's all I got for this week. All right. Wow. We've covered a lot of stuff here today. Gave you guys a big old episode. Holy smokes. This is going to be a long one. You guys yeah. have been in for a treat here lately. We've been banging them out. Nice long episodes full of all kinds of fun content. Speaking of that, thanks to everybody that shared and retweeted our Warren episode from last week. We've been getting just a ton of awesome compliments and great comments about that one. We had so much fun putting it together. We're glad everybody really enjoyed it because we put quite a bit into that one. Yeah, it was a fun one to do, and we've got uh, some interviews coming up. There's a special one coming up after this one that, uh, with a voice that you're going to be very familiar with from back in the day. Oh, it gave me chills. I can't wait for you guys to hear that one that's coming up next. And then more GeekWire, and then... I think it's time to do a Radio Sucks radio show because I want to play some new Jacqueline. By then, I'll have the CD. Yeah, I got several songs I've been kind of chambering ready to play on the show. Yeah, and we're due for a fresh blood. We haven't done one of those yet in 2024. I think that's about time for that. And then who knows what else. So Pantheon will keep them coming for you, and we'll keep creating them, and we'll keep rocking together. Thanks, everybody that supports Decibel Geek. We love you very much, and we'll see you next time. See ya. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family. The money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.